0: Happy New Year to all listeners of the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. i walk down memory lane to kick off 2024. Former Wales centre John Devon has a new out, Double Dragon, Double Lion, telling stories from a remarkable career with Wales, the British Lions and then the Rugby League again with Wales and the British Lions. As captain 19, he made a sensational impact for Wales before being lured away to Rugby League, then returning to Union and to Wales when the game went professional. Plenty to talk about. John, happy new year to you. Welcome to the World Rugby Union podcast and uh, yeah, I hope you've had a good festive period and the book, Double Dragon, Double Lion, I hope it's going well. Yeah, it's going very well, thanks. I've had a couple of events first one
1: I was up in Witness, I was just poor by chance. We knew the book was roughly going to come out around that date. thought it would have been a bit earlier, but um, we just booked that date because I was up there on business. And uh, as it transpired, it was the first launch date. So I did that one first. And then uh, a week later, I was in Bridgerhead, we come to the second one, which is as good as. Well attended and a really good night. And there was some good stories. And yeah, Lots of my old friends, ex-colleagues, players, came to uh, both events, actually. witness there was a lot of ex-players, and then down in Bridgend, there was a number of players,
0: uh, ex-Welsh players and, and Bridgend. And I suppose the double launch and the name, Double Dragon, Double Lion, obviously it's your international career in the two codes, but just explain why that name? We settled on that
1: one because it's quite unique, isn't it, I suppose? Being that I was lucky enough to play rugby for Wales in Rugby League and Rugby Union and both British Lions in Rugby Union and Rugby League.
0: And it does show the breadth of of your career from coming through pretty early with Wales. Can I take you all the way back to the beginning, pre-Wales, you are picked pretty young for Wales, but before even then, what was that like when you first came through in the Welsh rugby scene with sort of high hopes and high talents? Yeah, it was quite unique. I was a student. And uh, playing college rugby
1: against all the first-class clubs in Wales and then play against Cardiff. And then I hit the headlines and I suppose uh, WIU and and, and the Big Five, as they were then, took a massive gamble. And Tony Gray and Derek Quinnell being the coaches. uh, And they selected me without really much um, first-class experience. So I was only a kid, 19, still a
0: student and... uh, yeah, that sort of thrust me into the big time with Wales. South Morgan Institute, it's now Cardiff Met University, but in those days, played all the other top teams in Wales. So as you say, you played Cardiff, you played Bridgend, you played Lethley, you had those fixtures as a student. What was that like? Fantastic.
1: And our big day or or night, as it was, in the week was the Wednesday night. And we used to go and travel to all those venues, away the venues that uh, on a Wednesday evening. Travelling in our, uh, sometimes a double-decker bus or a, a couple of buses, team bus, along with a number of the students as uh, spectators. And it was, a, it was a good day out. And um, yeah, it was exciting for us all. As You know, we're all students. Some of us were linked to clubs, like myself and a number of others. But um, a lot of others weren't. And uh, it was a sort of opportunity to put yourself in the shop window as well, playing against, as you say, all the first-class clubs. It was great for me to play against my my club Bagen and then go down to Stradey, Cardiff Arms Park, uh, Sardis Road, Ponte, you know all these clubs, and we used to acquit ourselves very well. I know I albeit I know that a lot of the clubs played weaker sides against us and had trial lists in their teams, but we just thought, well, we're playing against my stay Preeze, Cardiff, Nestle Swansea. We wanted the scalp. We gave our all in all those games,
0: and and we did. We managed to have a couple of wins every season, as you say. Did enough to get the eye of the Welsh selectors, but there's still the the call must have come somewhat out of the blue. What was what was that like? Well, I wasn't expecting
1: it. I remember the day vividly. We were um, I was out on a field visit with a number of my college students in Cardiff Castle with a couple of the lecturers, and we were looking at some architecture in one of the big rooms of Cardiff Castle. And then this chap appeared from nowhere, like Mr. Ben, out of the cartoon series, and uh, he said, uh, is there John Debrae, He was a very important phone call for him, and uh, I immediately thought there was something wrong at home, because I wasn't expecting anything like what I was about to hear, and anyway, I went with this chap to um, an office, and it was no mobile phones in those days, so I picked up the phone, and uh, John Doors introduced himself to me on the other end of the phone, and Kind of uh, explained that I was successful in being selected to play for Wales then on the 18th of January, which was 1986 uh, at Twickenham in the centre for Wales. So that was amazing. And um, I thought it was a bit of a wind up, but I quickly realized it wasn't and then went back to join my colleagues and explain what had happened. And the rest was a bit of a celebration from there on. We went across the road to the horse and groom in Bowman Street and had a good old. Um, Two beers and celebrate it with the student friends I was with there, but also the jungle drums were banging and quickly uh, that pub, the whole college descended on it, and uh, it was a real good celebration. So Twickenham for your first cap, what was that like? Just couldn't wait for that game, as you know. We carried on playing, and you, you still sort of have to keep playing for your club, and um, you don't want to get injured, obviously. But yeah, didn't really worry too much about that, but. I just wanted the game to happen straight away. And yeah, and then it arrived, it did come around fairly sharpish. And it's just everything I'd never experienced all that. It's, it's the interviews, the training with the Welsh team, and, and then the travelling up to London and then arriving via the motorcade police escort to the stadium. And yeah, I was only a 19 year old student and that was way above anything I've ever experienced. So yeah, never played schoolboy rugby for Wales. so yeah, getting my hands on my um, Welsh jersey number 13 for the first time was uh, was extra special. Reading all the um, telegrams they used to have in those days. Again, no mobile phones or text messages. And yeah, just the experience, the roar of the crowd, the anthems, the atmosphere, and you're aware of it in the background, but couldn't wait for that game to kick off. And as soon as that whistle went, I really zoned in and focused on The job at hand, and you know, we tried our heart out and we gave everything. It's just a shame that um, England were quite dominant up front, if I remember rightly, in line-outs. So we lived off a lot of scrap ball that day and tackled a lot. And we scored the only try of the match, which my centre partner, Beveen scored a lovely try. But we just couldn't compete with Rob Andrews' boot. He scored 21 points that day and we lost 21-18. And he kicked the winning drop goal in front of the sticks in the third minute of injury time to break our
0: hearts. Quite a game, quite an introduction. So uh, moving on then through the rest of the Five Nations back in 1986. Was there any point you started getting used to the experience? Once I managed to select it for the Scottish
1: game, and it was at home, it was my first home debut. And it was a famous game remembered for Paul Forburn's world record penalty goal. My claim to fame is I told him to go for it. Why? No, yeah, one, no one, was... one could believe he was going for it. Yeah, well, in those days and, and the old stadium there, the, the wind was howling down off the old East Terrace because it wasn't like most stadiums these days are enclosed, aren't they? They're completely enclosed. The wind was howling off the old East Terrace. And uh, I knew we could whack a ball, but uh, that was exceptional, wasn't it? And then we beat Ireland away then in Dub- Dublin, which is always a hard job. The wind was blowing a hooligan over there, if I remember rightly, and always does in Lansdowne Road. And it was just nice to be getting these wins, as it was and now being, You know, I made a couple of nice contributions. I think against Scotland, I managed to get the ball out of a tackle to Phil Lewis, and I think against Ireland, similar and set up a try for Phil Lewis in Dublin. So yeah, it was I was doing my bit, I suppose. But uh, and then we had the last game against France at home, which was an experience playing against Philippe Sella for the first time.
0: That's quite a an experience for a 19, 20-year-old to go through.
1: used to see him before that, watch him on TV, but the play against him was uh, was special. And uh, you always want to acquit yourself, do not you, against the best players. And uh, he's probably one of the best I've faced in rugby union, without a doubt, as an opposite number. Not a big guy, but very strong and quick
0: and scored tries as well. So he was uh, a, a pretty good all-rounder. And did well enough through that Five Nations campaign to be picked for a sort of one-off Lions game. Due to be going to South Africa, that didn't happen. Yeah. So played against the rest of the world, which was retrospectively capped. But how did it feel at the time? Oh,
1: I mean, how can you describe your first year as still a student, playing for Wales four caps, and then going and being selected to play for the Lions? You know, we were awarded Blazers because it was it was supposed to be in a tour, and but at the time, it wasn't capped, and just to be able to say I played for the British Lions, I know it wasn't a Test match at the time. But retrospectively, yeah, we had caps awarded some years later. But it was just special, and just to be involved in that—I mean, still great to experience to be uh, involved in uh, in that great team. So
0: well, I we can jump forward a year, World Cup. It was obviously a really new thing—the Rugby World Cup. How much were the players aware? At that time, it was going to be big that year, that it was going to be big in future years. Was it something that dominated your season looking forward to the World Cup in the way it would now? I don't think it dominated. I think it was more a case of I mean,
1: Tony and Derek, obviously aware of it, and then they were trying to build a team or squad to go over to Australia and New Zealand to play in the competition. And then, I mean, I finished that first season with a tour to the South Seas as well, which was a nice little way of getting all the players to... uh to travel and to get used to being away from travelling and touring. So that was a nice tour. Hard rugby as well. But yeah, in the back of your mind, I think it was just the fact that I was so lucky to actually say that I could play in the first ever Rugby World Cup. No one knew what, what it would become, how big it would become. But I just used to think of all the great players in the past who weren't lucky enough to play in World Cups, you know. And there I was in my second season with the Wales, playing in a World Cup. Was there a fanfare around it? Was there a feeling that this is big? Um, it was very big in New Zealand. And they, they, they'd been building for it as a team for two years. I know it's an only an amateur game, but they were given special permission by their, all the employers. They, you know, every, every player had jobs like we did. But no, sorry, I was a student. But <laughs> yeah, they had special permission to have time off to prepare for that uh, tournament. And, and we know that's a lot to do with uh, how they came away with the win in the end because they were like a professional outfit. But yeah, it was big in New Zealand. I, I don't. I think we probably didn't realize how big it was until we got over there. It's a little bit too late for that, then, isn't it? In terms of prepping, but I had a little distraction because I was in my third year of university and I was given special permission to do my final year degree exams. Two in Wellington, where we played Ireland in uh, Wellington, and then we played. Tonga in Palmerston North. So I had two exams in Wellington University and then one down in South Island in Dunedin when we were playing against Canada. So I got that out of the way
0: and then I could really concentrate on the tournament then, which went really well up until the semi final. Well, it didn't. I suppose probably the the highlight there were obviously wins against Ireland and England. So we'll gloss over the semi final and maybe go straight to the third, fourth playoff game, which uh, you weren't that fancied against Australia, were you? No, that. Uh,
1: we lost forty nine six against New Zealand in the in the uh, semi final. I know we did end the match with fourteen men, which is should never happened. Um, they should have had fourteen men as well. Buck Shelford knocked out Hugh Richards in front of the main stand, and he wasn't sent off. But yeah, that doesn't matter. The damage had been done before that anyway. They simply the best rugby side I've ever played against, and give us a lesson in how to play rugby uh, at pace and. Power and yeah, it's just uh, wave after wave. But we you know we we tried our best. I scored the only try for Wales, which I take it all day
0: long uh, as a special thing to happen. Well, there but weren't many just... tries scored against that New Zealand team throughout the World Cup, were there?
1: No, no, and I, and I know their mental their mental psyche that they would have hated a scoring any any points against them. Certainly a try. It was a great feeling to get over the whitewash, go past my opposite man, smoking Joe Stanley, and to register a score because nobody wants to be nilled in any game. But it was, it could have been that ugly, you know. But um, yeah, we scored and then we go on to play in the third or fourth playoff against the Aussies who, who wrote us off. Because as you know, Australia and New Zealand at the time were as good as each other. So they were probably thinking, what's the point of playing us? All backs have needed to put 50 points on us. So they gave us a lot of stick in the press before that match. So we used that all those news clippings as, as motivation before the game. It was a nasty game, though bad tempered for a team who didn't feel like they had to turn up. It was nasty from the very start of the game, and the back rower uh, Cody he stamped all over uh, Gareth Roberts in a ruck, and he was sent off. But but it was still a hard game, even playing against 14 um, Australians. But we gave it all, and I was really pumped up for that match. So a number, well, all of us were. I felt I was. Had a point to prove and and to restore some pride in in the Welsh jersey and yeah I think um, we didn't leave anything on the park. My famous handoffs came out several times during the match when we were allowed to hand off somebody. I suppose not so much in the game now. The final phase where Jonathan put a bomb up and I followed it, kept my eye on it, jumped up above all those Aussies and grabbed the ball, went to ground, put it between my legs because so I knew I'd be isolated. All my pack ran over the ball, and didn't kick it. And Yian was playing a scrum half out to Ringo, Ringo to Thorby, and Thorby had a good hand off himself and passed to Adolf. Adrian Adley who scored in the corner, but he wasn't over there. And Thorby had the slot, probably the one of the hardest kicks of his career,
0: I, I think. Right on the touchline at the twenty-two to win the match. You came back as the third best team in the world. Did that confidence feed into the Wales team over the next couple of years? Should have. And it did in a way because we went on to win
1: a Triple Crown in the following six nations. I was unfortunately injured, selected for the first game against England. And I broke my hand a week before then playing in a cup match against my stake for Virgin. So that game was famous for Wales picking four outside halves in the back line. And uh, yeah, but that team was growing. Uh, it was a young side when I joined it in '86 uh, to win a Triple Crown.
0: And then uh, then we had to go on tour to New Zealand, which spoiled it all. Well, it did change a lot, didn't it? You went out there as Triple Crown champions. You obviously had, uh, yeah, as you say, a really young, exciting backline, established players, an established pattern of play. And then suddenly everything got blown out of the water by New Zealand. It wasn't just losing to a team who was so much more professional, as you say. It was as though it was the end of the world and everything had to go, pretty much. Was that your feeling of it? It was bad, but we
1: knew it was going to be bad before we even left the shores. I mean, this, let's face it, we didn't have enough time to get to learn the lessons of the semi final defeat to New Zealand in 87. We didn't have enough time to get better as a side, but Tony Gray and Derek Quinnell learned so many lessons on that tour. They didn't have time to win, well, they were given the opportunity to implement that. And then, as you know, with any changes of management, you bring in new coaches, they start from scratch again, and everything learned is lost so it was just that game I suppose was the start of the the drain from rugby union to rugby league it's sort of number of players went after that that tour Adrian Adley went and people like Stuart Evans I think went first and then likes of Jonathan after them Paul Moriart myself and then a massive exodus
0: after that. There was that massive exodus just before you went there was a Lions tour to Australia did that Keep you in Wales for a while? Well, no, no. I had no intention of going rugby league. I saw Jonathan going and, and, and he went for
1: his own reasons and Paul as well. I mean, Jonathan gave up the opportunity to play on a British Lions tour, simple as. It was a massive decision for him to go to witness an 88 and he would have been, especially he would have been in the test side and there was no one better than him. And I was looking for, you know, I, I was back playing in Wales without Jonathan and Paul and, and it just wasn't the same and we had... Um, yeah, the final game for Jonathan was obviously the Romania match, which we lost in Cardiff. That was a dour game, and and then the Six Nations that year was dreadful. We had some injuries, and yeah, we lost to Scotland in the first game, and then we lost to Ireland in Cardiff. And I was then cut adrift, I suppose, by Wales. The uh, first time my career being dropped, and then I thought the chance of playing on the Lions to had gone. But Ian McGeechan knew what I could do, and God, he he selected, even though I. I was technically dropped by Wales, which uh, was a fantastic feeling when I got that call. But I went on the tour and gave my all, to play really well. And then disaster strikes in the week before the first Test match. I was playing against New South Wales, and as you know, on most tours you get a mixture of players in the first few games, and then you start seeing roughly what the Test side would look like. And I was playing in those Saturday games against Queensland, New South Wales, and then I injured. My blinking uncle playing on a cricket pitch of all blinking rugby pitches. Yeah, ran off that soft outfield onto the concrete square, cricket square, and p- turned over on my ankle. And last five minutes of the match, and uh, went off with a strained ligament. So, missed the first test, missed the second test, but fought my way back in onto the bench for the third test. But it wasn't like an SM, it was all the squad were part of that series win. It was, in fact, the Midweek side beating ACT in Canberra, which got the tour back on track. Donald and as captain of uh, the Midweek side, aptly named Donald's Donuts. We won the second test and then uh, the third was a great day. We went camp easy through to nobody behind the goal line and, uh, yeah, and pounced on the
0: ball to score the winning try. And then fairly shortly after that, you come back and you obviously do get the office in Rugby League. Yeah, I was chased around
1: Australia by Chris Casely from Bradford Bulls. He'd come out on the tour to sign somebody for Bradford Northern, and I was top of his list or one of his targets. He rang me, and I eventually rang him back and said I was not interested. And in fact, I'd got my mojo back, and I was playing well and was looking forward to playing rugby union for a number of seasons to come. Ian McGee kind of me that injection of where I was, and I was set back to my best. And then, um, I had a phone call from Jonathan Davis and Paul Murray Hart, you were our Witness, saying that um, Witness were interested in signing me. I sort of said exactly what I just said to you. I, I wasn't really interested, but I don't know why, but I said, OK, I'll talk to them, but I'm not going to sign because I, I was really looking forward to playing more rugby union. And then Dougie Lawton came down and the rest is history. I mean, the guy, he can charm the birds out of the trees. He's a bit of a talker and he done the job. And uh, my dad was with me. And to a bit of moral support, but uh I think when you talk that sort of money you just can't turn it down you know and I was signed two days before I got married so you know, that's comes in handy doesn't
0: it I' well, pay for the wedding I suppose yeah. and so you joined as you say some some Welsh uh, international teammates and in, in witness and yeah made a big impression there obviously went on to play for Wales again, but also the British Lions again, the Rugby League British Lions. I mean, what was the Rugby League experience like? You tended to play a little bit more on the wing than, than centre. Yep. That
1: purely came out of
0: the fact that I joined a team that had no weaknesses.
1: I just waited for the, the first opportunity and it came on the wing. I mean, look, Jonathan started on the wing um, when he started playing as well and then moved into other positions. But I played centre as well, but the majority of my time for witness was in the first few years, was on the wing. But then I moved into the centre for the last few years and a number of games in my first few years. But uh, in fact, ironically, I mean, I played in the centre for Great Britain in the World Cup final in 1992 uh, a Wembley. came on just before halftime for an injury to Gary Connolly. And, uh, and I also played in Australia for Manly. Manly Seagulls in the centre. Yeah, I played centre and wing, but majority of the time was on the wing.
0: In those days, what was it like being a Welsh player playing rugby league? Because there obviously was the massive divide back then. Were, were people still following you, still interested?
1: I'd never had any animosity from anyone in Wales. It was all just, um, just great to, uh, you know, all support really. It was, I think all that attitude has sort of waned a bit. But, you know, we were still rugby league players at the end of the day and we would never be able to play rugby union in the, in the current format we had bust loads of people who used to come and watch us up in Rugby League from Wales. witness we had a big connection with North Wales and a lot of North Indians would come across to watch us play and then bust loads of people from, from South Wales would come up. And it was, um, we, we had to earn our corn, as you would say. And if you put the performances in, the crowd love you. So yeah, you put the effort in. They're very similar to uh, the Welsh. They love their rugby and they're passionate about it. big rivalry there and in all the sites. It was so much talent. It's a little bit less of that now because of what's happening in Rugby Union. A lot of the good players are doing the opposite, aren't they? They switch into Rugby, uh, rugby Union.
0: So I'll skip forward again, slightly over the, the Rugby League years and return to Rugby Union. When Rugby Union went professional, not long after that, you did return. That can't have been something you ever imagined was going to happen.
1: Oh, and Jonathan always said, I remember him saying, the reason he went to Rugby League was because he could never see Rugby Union changing in our lifetime. I remember the phone call actually I was our witness and I got a phone call from Paul Turner, who was then at Sale Sharks or Sale before they became Sale Sharks coaching. He asked me to come over to Sale to play on a dual contract. So that's still contracted as a witness player. And obviously we used to play summer rugby and rugby league. And then in the winter I move over and play for sale. So um and that happened in ninety six and I had a fantastic season so did Sale but when I got to Sale eventually Paul Turner had finished with them or parted ways him and the chief executive the two gentlemen who had signed me so um, it was a bit strange but anyway I enjoyed it. it definitely extended my lifetime as a rugby player because what happened the year after when I went back to um, witness things were very bad at Witness at the time, financially. And I had signed this new contract with Witness, as Johnson had a few years previously, and the club couldn't afford to pay me or him anymore. He went to Warrington. And I um, eventually left and went to uh, to Sale. Sale wanted to sign me full-time. So in 97, I signed for Sale. You then returned to Welsh club rugby with Bridgend. I was at Sale and I broke my ankle. It wasn't a bad break, but it was one of those breaks which took a long time to heal for whatever reason it was a problem with the fractures I ended up leaving sale to go on loan at Worcester traveled down three four times a week from witness to Worcester but while I was at Worcester I had a phone call from Leighton Samuel who was just taken over a project, asking me would I be interested in coming and having a chat about signing he wanted to make some marquee signings I agreed and I met him and we talked figures and I also had a a good friend at the time who uh, was setting up a new business and I was looking for life after rugby. So it was a, it was a sports promotion business, corporate hospitality, etc. And that job was then tagged on as part of the deal, you know. But yeah, I came back home and then played the following season, well, three seasons at Bridgend. And I left Bridgend because they were starting to go uh, full-time. I just couldn't do that anymore. I was 33, 34 and I was looking to sort of then start winding down a bit, yeah. So I went to Pontypool, of all places, followed Kevin Ellis over there. He gave me a call and said he'd gone over to Pontypool and they had a very young side and they were looking for an old stager in the centre. So I went over there and had what hopefully was going to be a good season. But unfortunately, I snapped my ACL. and That was put paid to my, my career at, at Pontypool.
0: So moving it forward, I mean, you were a bit of a trailblazer in your day, pretty big guy, pretty quick. Uh, in both codes what do you make of uh, the rugby you're watching now and in particular in your specialist position of the centre because yeah, dare I say you'd almost count as one of the smaller guys now would you yeah
1: I was biggest one of the biggest in the state at the time and the strongest because myself and Di Young at the time were probably only two used to do any weight training yeah but now they're all six foot four five aren't they they're all
0: um yeah, I mean, my fighting weight was 15, 15 and a half stone at the time. So, returning to Wales, looking forward, what are your feelings about the the state of the game in Wales and, and the Welsh national team going forward, Warren Gatlin back post-World Cup? It's going to be, um, yeah. But if there's anyone who can do it, it's
1: Gatlin. If he can get them to that level that he, he has managed to get them to. um, Yeah, good World
0: Cup. Yeah, we'll see. Finally, in your position... Nick Tompkins and George North played in the World Cup, were first choice there. But do you look at the likes of Maxwell and Mason Grady, Joe Roberts, some of the the players maybe in your style, and think, yeah, there's there's a few players there who could come in and make the sort of impact you did all those years ago. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, um, there's a couple of big lads in there. I mean, Mason Grady's not playing enough
1: at centre, so I can't see him coming in into the centre. He's got to be playing more often at centre rather than wing. George North and, and Tompkins have done all right together. I, I like Tompkins. He's not a big guy, but he's holding his own in the in the English Premiership. And he had a good World Cup. I like him. Um something different about him and he packs a punch. And George, yeah. I mean George started on the wing and now he's in the centre. But all that experience goes a long way as well, doesn't it? All those caps that he's got. But yeah, let's have a look, even if the odd ones on the bench and they and they get a bit more than five minutes at the end of the match in some of these matches but it depends what Gatlin's looking at is he looking long term
0: we'll see you. John pleasure talking to you glad the the book Double Dragon Double Lion is going well a good chance for you to relive a lot of memories I'm sure it has been a great opportunity uh, I, I'm getting older it's, it's probably a long time
1: to write a book after you finish playing but um, it's been a great experience reliving those stories and memories and, and I've been helped along the way by talking to lots of friends but also there's some funny stories in there as well too you know because we did have a lot of laughs in my day yeah it was an amateur game remember so we we could have some laughs Very well good luck with it thanks very much thank you
0: John Dev Devs as he may be better known to some. but that's it for this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast plenty more next week of course but until then goodbye